0: Hello. Good morning. This is Tevo DRC of Tevo Creative Leadership and the DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship, which is down over on onlinefellowship.us. You can look us up when the Lord leads you. Use it as a resource to provoke new thought or just to feel comforted that you're not alone in this strange doctrinal theological universe that is out there purported by the quote, you must be born again types. Now, I come from that, I am that really, but I'm also distancing myself because of, even though I believe the scripture on it, I, there's so much hype and publicity and true and untrue, that's where we're discussing it, even making a few thorny points on purpose to provoke new doctrinal examination, self-personal heart evaluation of, what am I doing with the name of Jesus Christ? What are we doing to it, maybe? What's the principal effect that comes across after TV and media and gossip and rumors and acting out, playing out, I'm the chief apostle, I'm the prophet, whatever goes on in the you must be born again, basic community and ministry, black and white, old and young, of which I'm greatly a part because I've been there all my life. My father was a pastor, but it was before all the media and hype. It was before the famous glossy magazines that came in and the publicity and the whatever, the, the fall. I came in right to ministry, even though I was raised in the Christian community. And it was very respectful. Uh, born again is in the Bible, it's true, but it wasn't Bible thumping. I was never around Christian leadership that was caustic, dysfunctional. Bible thumpers, Bible beat down, and they were not biased in my family and my whole ne- my whole network. They were not racist, biased, or disrespectful, and they loved and honored their mothers. I didn't know a, I would meet, starting in a young age, which I've described before, of have a history of being sent to the people of African heritage, and they've always been respectful to me. I've never had anyone jump me accuse me. I've never had anyone take my stuff. I've never anyone tried to rape me. I've never had anyone do that in the dark skin community. And those who are not, who are not from the Christian faith, they didn't either. And I want to honor those good people amongst you. Now, my parents had great... My family were quality. They came from Presbyterian and Methodist and Baptist, Southern Baptist. But I didn't think about it. I just thought, oh, these people are Christians. It was like wherever God sends you, you happen to be sent to serve the Lord, to please the Lord, to be a Presbyterian. But it's not your real... You don't really care. You could go anywhere. So I've been like that, raised like that. I love people. Whether you go to Catholic or you don't go to church or in non denominational or denominational, that's not my business. That's you and the Lord's. But I've always had a real crossover factor in my, you know, a feel for the people of, of foreign nations, the global community. And that's what I'm going to talk on today, specifically the white Jesus. What is Who is the white Jesus and why am I mentioning it? Well, let me do it this way. If you're going to talk and you come from another culture where they're African heritage or Middle Eastern, or if you come from Asian or Hispanic, then you can talk about the Afrocentric or the Middle Eastern centric Jesus. Well, you know, he is, frankly, that's the whole point. Jesus is from the Middle East, but I'm going to deal with the nation That I come in contact and have through the years, when I was raised peacefully and in harmony, and no bias, no caustic religion, no big eye, Bible thumping prophet, pastor, or title pumping Christianity is low key, deep south, but low key. All right, basic. I thought that's just how loving Jesus, accepting Jesus is, and it is for still a lot today. Then, when the Lord grew me up, and I went into ministry, and I started getting really involved all my life in racial things from the civil rights movement on up. As I said before, when I was five, my grandmother took me by hand to go to the grocery store or some kind of mall, shopping center, and I noticed, I could read, I could notice the signs that said, black water fountain, white water fountain, black bathroom, white only and that was shocking to my system and since that day i've always been very tender hearted and very concerned about racism and bias and taken an active stance all my life and met people and had them in my home stayed in theirs had fun with them friends and now i know how it feels to be distanced from i know how it feels if you have i might have because i went through when i relocated when we relocated it was a whole new brand new doctrinal bathwater which is troubling in the Christ following community primarily charismatic so I started thinking there for the grace of God go I let's just talk about it to the Lord is it something on me is it something you want to change am I impure am I uh, not under authority and I'd been through things on the East Coast that were these doctrines that came up from I think Florida deep south of shepherding and pastors, overseers, and they're keeping tabs on everybody's business. And I wasn't raised around it. I was mature. And I started to examine my doctrine. Let the Lord examine my heart to see if I was wrong. You know, the Bible teaches as a principle, O oh Lord, in one of the Psalms, O oh Lord, examine me to see if there's any wicked way in me, any witch-watching way in me. And he said, no, your your heart is pure. And go on and study like a noble Berean what you're seeing because I see it. And later when I found some very, very tragic, caustic things that were never black African-American history background or Asian, that type of thing, or from another nation, non-believer in Christ, they were always American-grown, Caucasian background, Western European, and they were I guess raised raw and dysfunctionally, but it never changed. God had not redeemed their character. And it was always people I noticed that needed money, that had a money-hungry side. So I'm going to mention it because it's huge. It is huge, as someone would say. First of all, let's talk about the word Western European. There's Eastern European that are white-skinned, basically, and they're Western Europeans. I come from Western European ancestry of of French and, and uh, I think... Well, English, I know, and then maybe a bit of more from my dad's side. Maybe I get, that's why I get this relationship thing with the global community. But when I analyzed through the years, when God sent me to, uh, I got married and I was sitting in church in a Presbyterian church that had been affected in a positive, strong way by the charismatic movement of the day. It was unfolding back in the 70s, mid 70s. I heard the Lord say, because I was a Jesus person, I didn't care your And I didn't pick it because it was Presbyterian. I'm not a Calvinist or anything like that, like some might think. No, no, I was just there because God said I'd married a Catholic and I'd been a Baptist. We figured Presbyterian was the average of the two. But we felt it from the Lord for a season. And so I was sitting there with the Lord and church and my family. And the Lord put on my heart, I want you to study my body. And I was always out and about in the area being invited, uh, participating in healing for our nation, repentance of racism and denominationalism at that time. So that was not foreign or strange. And I'd been raised with people who prayed and heard, were led by the Holy Spirit and the Bible. They weren't back under the law. And I remember the basics, like my grandmother pr- driving and with me in the car as a kid, and she'd say, Let's pray that God will open up a parking space. Nothing was too foolish or small. And then when I was 14, my parents came to me and my sister and they said, let's we feel like God is moving us to from the central Virginia area to the to Norfolk. So we went and see we've been spirit led, but no one spoke in tongues. Nobody was a Pentecostal. Nobody was a charismatic. That came later. So when I'm looking back, I have great, wonderful feelings with all colors. My family, extended family. And then I thought I was sheltered. I guess I was naive about real life in Christian ministry. So I go out and I study. You know, I'm out with the body and feel like everything's fine. But it turned out that people were not back under the law. That is a mixture that comes in later and can come in through TV through not TV, through personal preferences, from history that's incorrect, passed down, spiritual father type teaching. But let me look at the white earth suit. The creations, God's people. Everybody, everybody today needs to know this and understand it. God chose you and put you in the earth suit. Whatever color, whatever packaging for his reasons and to bring him glory to give him glory. And it's a test. Your assignment in your earth suit, black or brown or tan or green, short or small or tall, everyone has a call because it's a season of being used by God, but not to use anybody. All right. The reason is you're going to have a test with your earth suit, either to be, if you're too small or too big to feel inferior, inadequate, if you're beautiful and hot and ripped as they say with your six-pack you're going to have a temptation for pride or vanity or lust you're going to have a temptation if you have a black earth suit or a tan earth suit or a minority or a majority you're going to have a temptation to use that as a crutch to blame people blame god not get over issues, not forgive, or you're going to have a temptation to use it for pride, conquering, for superiority, for vanity, and racism. But it's your choice, and that's why we're mentioning it to teach this principle. Please, real respect. Our office is real respect, equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in the image of God. Psalm 139, from the top president down to the person who works in the very lowest field. you forgive them, you love them and you treat them as a office human no matter what you think of their lifestyle, their looks, their doctrine, their race or their outer court gender, anything. All right so that's my point. Let's look now at the since I'm talking on the white Jesus that means what is the white world? of Christianity. You must be born a Christianity Bible believers portraying Christ as today in ministry. All right, we're trying to be real, not to be cruel, not to make fun, but we're really like Jesus tossing over maybe a few temple money changers table because it does seem to baby relate to income. But we're going to submit it as a Selah in James 3.17 respectful form. That means easily entreated full of mercy, trying to be pure in heart and respectful and diverse. When I relocated, I'd never been around chauvinism in ministry. I'd never ran about gender bias or that I looked like a stereotype of the white, typical middle-aged blonde lady until I went to some of these big churches. (laughs) And I had just lost my husband of the only man I thought I'd ever be married to, and I have grown children, but I was grieving like a widow. And I went to find, you know, the way to do is not to feel sorry or suffer. You get involved, you go help people at the ministry, you join, you get a ministry fellowship where you can, ha- and you find people to talk to to comfort you. And when I found out that I was a biased stereotype, you know what I mean? It was like I encountered this wall or this, if you're divorced, Because Even though you begged them to counsel and they wouldn't, you're really a stereotype of the needy, weak, uh, unforgiving divorcee. And I'd met people that were, I'd been through abuse and forgiven, I'll be honest. And I met people like that also that were men. I met a man who had been abused and divorced by his wife, big guy, bigger than me, and he had remarried and I realized, you know, it's all genders, not just about a female or me. But it was like, why is stereotyping going on? I'd noticed it a bit in certain communities that I had been like racially profiled when I went to study the body, maybe North Carolina. And I thought, I'm going to, if I'm being racially stereotyped by certain groups where I'm not with my family, not in the ones where I used to live, I'm not with different kinds of Christians, not with black people, especially dark skinned people. They discern me correctly from within. I thought, what is wrong? What is going on that I'm getting sort of racially profiled? They act suspicious or distanced or unfriendly back off if I show up. Now, I'm no, I'm no weak wuss. I am five foot ten, and that's without shoes. So maybe people are intimidated. Fear of man, fear of human, which brings a snare. So I started profiling back, and that's how I got Western European Levitical Patriarchism. I realized the people who are back under the law and the women are to be seen and not heard. They're usually not diverse in ministry. You can tell them that they're usually middle-aged, a little portly, and that they may come back well-intentioned and have great doctrine and teaching and respect women, basically the kind they understand or approve of. But there is a sort of a spirit that rises up, and I thought, wow, so unaccepted in the uh, in the Beloved, it's not quite Ephesians 1.6. I thought, why, when I'm peaceable, James 3.17. I also noticed that there are no black people in the audience or on stage in leadership and no women. Then I would go and think, let me go for the grace of God, go I, let me pick out what's good and enjoy what I can, and their worship is usually really good. So that was how it started over 20 years ago, 25 years at least, of me wondering about doctrine and then wondering, am I wrong? Am I wrong that, is it me, Lord? And I fought inferiority, I'll be honest, but not fault-finding. I don't find fault-finding is in my basing, and there is a fine line. But I try to be very careful because I know how many people are wounded. Pastors and leaders and Christians wound other people bigly because of their gossip. They're uh, complaining and they're charismatic witchcraft, praying against them and being critical. And I'm not one of those. However, I, as a prophet seer, one of God's prophet seers, I know when it's being leveled against me because that's one of the healthy things. You can bind it and put the blood of Jesus over it and not be damaged by it badly. It is distracting, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. So we're talking up front, we're playing. So let's get down to the white people. Years ago, about three years ago, after my mother died, I had a really weird incident where I had, I called it white-on-white bias. And once more, I looked at who did it, what kind of person did it. They were shorter, they were middle-aged, they had great money problems where I was. It was in a... And they had a call from the Lord that they, I think they were afraid to follow. And so when I just sit there, sit there literally, these things happen when I'm quiet, sitting there, studying, writing, thinking, just being with God, or just, you know, trying to be a good witness. These things come after me, and it's never been a dark skinned person yet. So when this person accosted me in a very rude manner, after it was over, I thought, you know what? This is one, I hate to say it, but I'm on this trail, Lord. Of what you see, and I thought, let's see what this guy has. It's middle-aged, Western European background, needs money. Wow, has a call, fear of being whatever ruined or you know, because he he wanted it was about membership type things. And I went, whoa. So I looked and thought, let's just train on it. So I wrote, would he have done it? I wrote three blogs about white on white potential bias. I didn't file a lawsuit, but maybe I could have. And it said, would he have done it if I were a black-skinned person in a public setting? Would he have done it if I were a Muslim? Would he have done it if I were a gay person? Would he have done that if I were a millionaire? And I realized that that was some kind of bias I trigger. And when I talked to an African-American bishop a few years ago, when I had been to one church that was very whelped, Western European Levitical Patriarchism, He said, You know, I went there and they treated me the same way. They treated me. They kept me at a distance. And he was a Pentecostal. So maybe it's our Pentecostal. I'm not, let me put it this way I am not a Pentecostal, as in denomination, and I wear slacks. I am fully Pentecostal in the book of Holy Spirit Acts. I enjoy it, but I try not to be dominating, bombastic, pushy, or showy because I had that done around me and to me. And I don't ever want to be like that. I'm low key, laid back. And you'll find out that I want you to hear God about all of that. And it's your choice. And if you don't do it, that's fine. My Pentecostal, very Pentecostal side, I guess, would be me in the presence of God in worship and enjoying a little, you know, movement or raising my hands, clapping, being happy, you know, just joyful. But it's usually low-key like this when you meet me. You don't even probably know it. The idea is God is good. He doesn't want show-offs. We're not building our ministry. We're not trying to build my kingdom or anybody's queendom. It's about the Lord, and that's why we're talking. So when I went through these encounters, I thought, now that bunch of people, and I'm talking to white ones now, the white Jesus. Who is the white Jesus, real life? Is he a religious fanatic? Is he a Bible-beatdown artist? Is he biased and chauvinist and misogynist? Is he a racist? Is he, uh, you know, think all women are temptress if they are strong or look nice, you don't find that. At least I don't. I haven't in the black community in churches. Maybe there are there white. You know, I'm talking about white. Black people, you talk about black. But I'm not. I've only had positive And they're powerful. And see, when you have been through violence, like I have, you have to grow stronger with God and know how to yield, wield it, when to turn it way down. And usually I have it way down when I visit because I want to respect them. Their office, their ministry, observe boundaries, and then see what's really going on. What is God saying through them? I enjoy, and I'm an aficionado of doctrine, of of good teaching, of good worship, and I like to note it for the positive, recommending people there, and I always have. Never not. So when I went through some of these things with what I noticed after that, I'd been racially stereotyped, or gender, or middle-aged stereotype, whatever this is, leader stereotype, Young looking, don't look my age, basically. They thought I was younger so they could take advantage of me or, you know, try to treat me disrespectfully. I thought, you know, Lord, and I go to the Lord, Lord. And he said, don't take it personally. I'm showing you what I see. Years ago on the East coast, I had a theory for my own ministry and I said, if I see it once or twice, maybe it's me. But if I notice the same thing happens three times or more, then I'm going to teach on it and look at the doctrine and what kind of people are doing it. And so that's why I'm teaching on it, because this is giant. I mean, it is enormous that you meet in the population of the, quote, Bible-believing, spirit-baptized or not, you must be born again, Caucasians. So I thought, you know, not everyone is like that, Lord. My parents weren't. My extended family, the ones I hang with, the real Christians are not. The real true, honest, real deal people are not. I don't want to get their name blasphemed or because there's so much talk of accusation in ministry and on TV about color and racism and cops and all that thing. Everything is like white. And that's what started this. I don't want anyone, my family, my children, myself or anyone of you to just because your skin, your earth suit is equated with the bad thing, I think that white is now a racist term. I think Caucasian is a racist term. That's why I'm using, I'm not a white, call me a Western European global, a Western European American. You know, if they have a box where you fill out, are you of Spanish descent or Hispanic descent? Are you of uh, this kind of descent. And then they put white. I think I don't want white on there. I want mine to say, are you of Western European or Eastern European descendants? And that would be fair for the future of our nation and our children. Think on that. Pray about it. I looked, I thought, well, what kind of white people are the worst ones that assault people that are racist and homophobes? And they say they're a Christian. They accuse people from the pulpit. They're, you know, they're always putting people back and they're accusing, representing the devil himself as an accuser. God the Father is an assessor. And I studied doctrine to make sure I understood why we're teaching, why we get away with teaching that Jesus Christ would stand in the pulpit and say, you're going to burn in hell or cut down somebody's ministry in public or put their name and go down a whole list of all the kinds of people that teach a certain way in Bible on radio and mock them. I've heard that literally more often. So I called up people and just said, I confront people when I hear that. I don't want anyone. I quit going to a really good church, a famous church once years ago out here. Because when I got there, I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to connect. But when they got up and started making fun of the faith movement and they started saying, calling them, name it and claim it from the pulpit. And then they had the audacity to go over there and talk about sowing and reaping their seed. I thought, I'm not polluting my mind. I thought, what is the, what is the pastor thinking, what are the people's choice of work? Why are they doing that when they have teenagers there, young people, impressionable people, maybe cynics? My former husband that I really loved, he was a cynic and so suspicious of Christians, not of me, but it was like, why are you really naming names and accusing? You can assess doctrine, but you don't have to name it. You can veil it. So I do. So we're going back. What is the rubber meets the road in Christianity? Is it the white Jesus that's on TV with blue eyes and Hollywood and fanfare? And is he really into bowing and scraping and calling everybody apostle and bowing and getting hankies? Is he really into all the entourage? Is he really, are we really into the entourage and the handlers? Yeah, you gotta have bodyguards now. I believe it. I can go for that. You have to. But do you have to act like it with pomp and circumstance? And oh, yes. You know what? There is such a thing as King Solomon, mega country. There is such a thing as Mother Teresa, mega country, just different styles. However, do you realize this? If the children of Israel, the children of God in the Old Testament had not cried out and wanted a king and begged Father God to give them a king when they had the priestly Uh, lineup, they wouldn't have had King David, King Solomon. They wouldn't have had the first roots of celebrity. And I'm not putting King David or Solomon down and our kings. We got to have them now. That's how our nation is made up. But I'm saying if you look at what goes on in Christ following today, a lot of this is shaking the core of what it is to be a real believer and going back to more common roots when I look at respect or disrespect in the different kinds of groups, I want to look at what Jesus, who Jesus was without all the pomp, TV media, glaring cameras, or the passed down tradition or human interpretation. I want to read for myself, which I have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when Jesus Christ was alive in ministry in the Middle East and he was not famous and there was no church or Bible or pre- pre-generation uh, of of pastors to come down from or say you were under, which he wasn't, he didn't do that, if you noticed, or the disciples. He didn't have all the theology he was there to create and birth that he was a true chief apostle's chief apostle. And I admire that. That's, you know, what we want to do is be a chief apostle of the work that of the ministry God has called me to today and you today as well. So we analyze what is true and what is false in the portrayal of ministry, fellowshipping with the saints, what is really doctrine under the law, what is not. That's a whole topic there. So we look at Jesus pioneering and his earth suit of Middle Eastern olive skin, dark eyes, dark hair, and doesn't care what your color is, what your race is what your faith is. If you're a kid, a little kid or a grown up or a Roman, he looks at who you are from the inside out. He's a perceiver, discerner, prophet. Isaiah eleven, two and three about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, it said he would have all of God's seven spirits, wonder working power, but he wouldn't act like it. You know, he wouldn't be an ego with it. It said he would have the delight himself in the fear of the Lord but he would not judge by the sight of his eyes. That means he wouldn't accuse or judge. He'd discern and perceive with the help of Holy Spirit. He wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't judge by the sight of his eyes nor make decisions based on what he heard. He wouldn't believe the evil report as a minister. He wouldn't tolerate gossip like goes on. So when I was looking at the difference of how certain, rea- when I was being typecast in certain groups only, I would say, well, you know, how come the black people don't do it? How come this kind of white person doesn't? What kind of white people are there? And where I got the, well, Western European Levitical Patriarchism, I noticed the, and I ask you to, I don't mean to be mean, because they have so many good qualities, most of them, a lot of them. They know truth. But where they got their government is from the law. I teach, for our ministry, apostolic Apostle Paul, Galatians 1, 1 and 2, it says, not sent out by any one person or any one group, but by the Lord, I and the brothers and sisters that are with me. But that's not taught. It's like you got to be under like martial law. You got to be under our kind, our brand, and it can turn into fault finding that way. They're not like us. They're not under like we. And so the word God gave me was we-centric. And I hate to say it goes back to colonialism. It goes back to maybe the slave master. It goes back, in my opinion, because it comes from the Deep South. Uh, back in college, I got New Wine Magazine, and still great, rulers. respect many of them. But when they got into shepherding, that overseer shepherding, that's what this is. Western European Levitical patriarchism is the same thing. And I've written on it since the early 2000, uh, 2013 or twelve. So let us discern our doctrine. Let us discern our teaching. Let us discern who we represent. Is it the blonde, blue-eyed Jesus in our faith, or is it the real multicultural, diverse Christ? When I looked at the kinds of white people, and I wrote a few years ago, an article on we-centric, we are the world-centric, we own it all, we deserve to own it all, we know more, we are the way, the truth, and the life, Christian speaking, that implication... And then I looked at, I'm not like that. My family's not like that. The people I want to be with, there are a lot of people not like that, that are not cold and not we-centric or we, they're very global. And so the word within the white culture, Caucasian, we Western European heritage, there is we global. They're more tribal. They're more like me down to earth. They like and respect all colors. They may not have had it easy. They may not like cliques or clubs or clans to be in. Or, you know what I mean, the fad and fashion of the day of the Christian faith, trends of doctrine, trends, what is the word, um, yeast of the Sadducees. That was a phrase God put in my heart years ago. Yeast of the Sadducees, the trend following of the day and doctrine, and that's when this started. Back in the mid-70s, when I'd grown up in a happy camper, Christian family full of faith and joy, then I went out to the community and discovered the charismatic movement, the move of the Holy Spirit, not Pentecostal, but just the Jesus people, and then the worship and all the uh, leading of the spirit, which I already knew a lot about came from that. But then I got in the more of the Holy Spirit, which is called you know charismatic, some of its word of faith, some of it can be Pentecostal, but I was studying and it would be sent to North Carolina. Uh, down to Florida a lot, Central Florida, up around Florida, where there's a lot of Holy Spirit movement. I'd learn new vocabulary, new ways. I learned to know about worship, prophetic, but also warfare. Oh, my heavens. And doctrine. And I about Jezebel spying. Oh, don't get me off on that. And it was never in the... And even though I'd be fellowshipping and speaking more with the African-American community and the white, I would notice the different styles. I thought, why are these people focused on dark devils down in Florida a lot? Why are they seeing witches? All the people I'm hanging in the grassroots, you know, that one might be a witch. That pastor might be a witch. That, that you know, they had that witches. Why are they so over obsessed with that? And, you know, they're for the grace of God. But I could get away from that, wanted to distance myself and wonder what in the world black people don't do that they already have power and might maybe and maybe the culture of the black person who is in america was more oppressed and they come from africa where they're really strong where they have to fight devils all the time and don't think twice they respect women a lot more the matron of the family you know black women are single a lot the single mother's respected, the single leader to me. You know, why is there a difference? And how come I never knew it till now? Cause I wasn't out with that guy before in the charismatic nation until then. But I studied, I thought, you know, let us see what's going on. Why were the black people, Christians born again? Why were they not like that? Why are they not oppressed, sad and like? Looking overly introspective and too into themselves and we centric or whatever. Why were they not obsessed with spying Jezebels in their prophetic movement? Why they are? They live it. They don't teach about it. They just do it. The prophetic movement, frankly. And I thought maybe the culture of white people, being the owners, hate to say it, they used to be a lot of them. Maybe they have more leisure time to sit around thinking up new doctrines and spying witches because the oppressed, formerly oppressed, many are upscale and upperly mobile now. But back then the culture was, we got to survive. We're going to have to hear God. And we don't have time sitting around in our culture to, to, you know, we don't have easy street where we can just sit around thinking up the newest doctrine to come down the pike. So, you know, so i please me if I make an error, but listen, we got to think on these things. When I went down to Tampa, Florida, the Lord was always sending me to the, the places that they were ready for racial tension to build, break out. I was in Richmond, Virginia, and I was in all these places, and I would go to Hillsboro to speak often. And so when I went down there, one of the ministers, the young ministers there, a wonderful prophet named Shatiqua, drove me around. And one day we're out in the area of Tampa, and she told me, she said, uh, Dr. T., I want you to know that that is where black world ends and white world begins. I thought, now that's new vocabulary. What What is that, Chatequa? Tell me what that means. She said, well, historically, when America was founded, all the rules came over from Europe. And they came over, the planners, the educated people came over, and they designed the legal system, the system of education, all the higher... Uh, what do you call it? institutions of America in building cities and business forms she said however white world has its vocabulary and the black people many times will go in there and assimilate that means they'll you know try to fit in and so they can get their work and employment and raise up in management and oversee which is okay. But then when they go back, they'll have their own black culture, which is more homey and their more vocabulary and different uh, feelings of not the system, but they'll have their community and their networks of sharing. And I thought, now that's unusual. That's right. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just amazed by it. A lot of people don't know that there is white world and black world. And somehow I that white world can be pretty prejudiced and it could be like a bureaucracy and it could be like a system that you better buck up and suck up to get ahead or you won't get there. And then when I first noticed the black, not the black ones, but really this whelp was when I first had ministry and I was helping a single mother. I helped a single mother in the divorce system and she had two children. And whenever she got this, Bias against her in the courts. It was bureaucratic bias against her, suspicious, trying to undermine her. It was, I noticed who it was. I wasn't used to that. I'm not used to that. I don't deal with that curse if I don't have to. But it was a white whelp, Western European. They'd always been in power, white world. Now, not everyone who's white, let me talk quickly, not everyone who's white is a white world. Not everyone who talks black is a black world. There are counterfeits all over the place, or Hispanic or Asian. I'm putting out vocabulary to pray about, to really, in the born-again, dimble the bad, but to keep the good and get more power like the (laughs) African-American. All right, like the African-American. Be respectful like the Baptist, both black and white. All right, be respectful. And the Methodist. There's good doctrine. This is a body ministry. We're community-oriented, not pitting one against the other, not captives versus Catholic. No, let's choose who's really the deal and be like Jesus, all of us. Psalm 133, 3. 133 is unity where God commands his blessing. And Ephesians 4, common doctrine, you can read that on, on the side. So we're putting this out there to stir it up, really to stir it up, to be like, Not like sweet baby Jesus. And we are sweet. I am sweet. But the idea is he didn't always remain in sweet baby Jesus mode every day. He grew up, manned up, and went out and provoked the religious system, the Pharisees. He never used weapons. He didn't use guns or violence or picketing or or mocking them, accusation. But he rose up, stood up in a prophetic act, and he got his point across. But he didn't do it to the people of Arab Jewish faith. He did it to the his well. He did it to the Jews because they were the perverse group who had taken it to a mammon making system. You know, I studied all these years. I've studied what went on from the when the law was given in its first form, and Moses came down, and the priestly got out there. If you read through the book of all the prophets, you can see the the morphing of the great temple, Torah, and system. All the things God put in place that He wants. You can see it being infiltrated by idolatry of the people, God's people, their hearts being impure. And then the Edomite heritage of Esau affecting the Jacob heritage. And then Obadiah and Isaiah warn the ministers and the leaders and the princes of God's people about their idolatry, their false religion, their following, and their vanity. And then he says, by the end of the Old Testament, when Malachi and you read Obadiah the Edomites or the Esau influence carnal, mammon chasing, peacekeeping. All right, you look at Malachi when he God really gives a warning to the priesthood, his people, why are you divorcing your wives like that? Why are you crying for money when you just made your wife get a divorce and she didn't want to, the wife of your youth? And he's warning them. He says, You say you're my messenger. I'm about to send my messenger into the temple. And he closes that short book, not just about tithe, in Malachi 3.10. Oh, no, read the whole book, only four chapters. And he see God is serious. He means something big, and it's mysterious. So then all of a sudden, Matthew, Malachi closes out the Old Testament. There's 400 years, 10 generations of silence where I guess I would suppose that that morphing and whatever went on that transformed the priesthood into the Pharisees, most of them Pharisees with a few good people, chosen people like Zacharias, the father priest of John the Baptist. But when I read, when you read about the history of the temple priesthood that comes out in the Pharisees, their kin, the priesthood is now mostly made up of people who are Edomites blood, including Herod the King was Edomite. That means they're they're mammon, they're they're hirelings. And that's what we have. That's what I got on my list today. What are the hirelings? Where are they and why? Why are they hirelings? In it for the money. Plastic. You know in the white community, I don't believe it was the dark skinned community that I would think of that came up with the old term plastic Jesus on your dashboard. Well it's plastic Jesus out in the Christian ministry if you come across the wrong set on a certain day. And I say that with love, because God loves these people. I love them. But I don't want to be used, abused, or have my focus distracted by what I call two groups of people. Psalm Psalm 144, verse 11, David used the term, the strange people, the strange children, that will rob your focus, get your children so confused about God, they won't want to follow him. And I didn't realize that had been my turf. I didn't know about it till God educated me. The other one would be, and that's a whole topic, another day for more of that. But the idea is that second Timothy two, 24 through 26 to the pastor and leader and the minister minister with meekness to those who oppose themselves so that by some chance they can take themselves out from the captivity of the devil. It is their choice. These are carnal Christians. I call them born again believers living in denial, males or females. I met some, I invited one to be my roommate. You talk to them, they say all the polished phrases. They can do all the polished knowledge and quotes and Bible, but when they get they don't get what they want, they are willful and they will put they will just cuss you out. They will be ornery. This is ornery. They are not. They are not forgiving. They have issues, real issues of unforgiveness. Maybe they were abused before you met them, but they have still not worked it out, and that is their choice. And they've got to go to God for themselves, or they'll always Second Timothy two twenty four and twenty five allow themselves, permit themselves to be under God's control, uh, under the devil's control. Read that for yourself. So those are my fields of encounter. Repeated encounter in America. And you know what? I don't think any one of them. Maybe there's got to be somebody of some not way, right? Some race that was not Caucasian. And there are out there, but my history has been wow, I can't believe what I'm seeing of Western European ancestry time after time. Not all of them, but this particular kind that provokes me repeatedly to teach. I deal with men a lot. I'm sent to men usually. So it doesn't bother me. My father was respectful to all people, and I am too. He had a very very strong, capable mom. And you know what? Nobody raised me to be back under the law. I can be docile, but I'm not a wuss. And we got to be straightforward and talk to men and women. These are humans today, no matter what your earth suit. And there's a lot of conceitedness out there. All right, let's get over to We Global. When I'm my spirit man... When I'm with the people of God, I notice some people are like into the respecter of person's cliques. You got to be under us. You got to be covered. You know, uh, they won't speak to you unless you're famous, unless you're recognized. They won't treat you with respect if you're, unless you're a man. And those are not black people. Usually, surely there are black people. Maybe there are, but I don't meet them. God hadn't had me meet them. They're the people that will stand you off from afar away because they think they've perceived you as the wrong kind of person with their prophetic major powers. I call that spooky spiritual. I call it witch watching. I call it crazy medic. And I've dealt with that. So I teach now and I'm bringing your attention that we don't want to act like Jesus. I mean, we do want to act like Jesus and he never did that. Where do you see Jesus disrespecting Mary, his mother in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he was alive in ministry or personal life? No. Where do you see Jesus putting down a person who is in sin with lust, the lady in the committed adultery? And you look at this patriarchal religion only accuses the woman because when Jesus had that lady who had committed adultery brought to him by the town Pharisees, the accuser Pharisees, which is how they do it, It was two people involved in adultery. They only brought the woman. The leaders only brought the woman. That's what patriarchal flavor, the fruit is. The woman did it. It goes back maybe to Adam. I'm just saying it like it is. You can, you know, be a noble brand, surely. But look back in the garden. The accuser first came to test Eve to tempt God, Eve to accuse God. And then when Eve was deceived, Adam willfully participated and he became an accuser. And who did he accuse? He accused Eve. And then nobody studies that there was a curse on Eve and Adam about toil and pain in childbirth, that the man will always be over you. But when Jesus Christ came, the good news, ladies and men, we are not back under the curse. Jesus paid it all and put it under the blood. We'll have to fight it because people are ingrained in it. People don't teach on that, but you don't have to be under the curse of pain in childbirth. I wasn't. You don't have to. I had, I used, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't do natural birth, but that's one of the ways you don't have to be under it. I was going to, but I willing to, but I just didn't feel it. You know, in other words, people are different. Everybody can do their thing. Your choice is to hear God and to MYOB. We each need in this country to MYOB, mind your own business, I'll mind mine. If you have something that is that bad, you think they're that bad that you deserve to know and that your inquiring mind must find out as a leader, then here's what you need to do. To respect Jesus and honor all relationships, you get out your Bible you remove yourself from your club, and you get out Matthew eighteen fifteen through seventeen, and you one to one politely confront them and say, "Did I, you know, I heard you were in sin. Ah, uh, is this true?" And if they avoid you, and you think that's needed, you go back with a second person. Galatians one, excuse me, Galatians six one. It says to the church who are back under the law in Galatians, Galatians six one, from Paul to the ones in witchcraft, the controlling personalities, back under the law, he says to them, you are to go minister with meekness and you are to go meekly confront somebody in case you yourself may fall into that same sin later or similar. And that is what is lacking. And that disrespect is out there. And I've chosen to minister it today because it's such a big deal in community in fallout, in making Jesus Christ's name in ministry, leadership, Christianity, and born-again community effective and emotionally healthy and emotionally safe. And that's why I don't really like going to some of these things. I don't have to. I've done my doctrinal research. I'm not back under the law. I'm Ephesians 6. Excuse me, Ephesians 4, common doctrine. And then I'm for the body of Christ, unity. That's our call as well as James 3.17, respect in all relationships, white or black or brown or tan, whatever your identity, believer or non-believer, whatever faith, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, pagan, none at all, atheist, whatever that I've messed out, left out. All right, whatever it is, we respect you for the office that God made you. He loves you. But we don't have to agree with your theology, and you don't have to agree with mine. We don't have to like each other. We just love each other and get along for society. This is about society. Whether you're a patriarch or matriarch or not, not a matriarch. If you're a politician and a whatever belief in anything, that's your choice. But I'm going to respect you and let you have your opinion. I may not agree with you, but I'm going to act in James 3.17. All right, so we want to close this. we got to close it, but there's more to talk about, surely. So let me make it clear what I wanted to say, what God wanted me to say. We're talking about, this might be the first installment about the white Jesus, frankly. All right, there's Western European, Earth suit, Eastern European. There's... Two groups within that of the Western European would be we-centric. We are the world. We govern everybody. We're spoiled. We used to have our own way. Nobody is good enough unless they do it our way or my way in leadership. Right, we own everybody. We're better. You know that's really what this is about. However, there's ones that are white Earth suited, but they're not, and they're more tribal, family-like. They're more you know lovable to all races, forgiving. And tribal, those are we global. And I am we global. We are we global over here. We want to be ready for anybody to come, no matter what their earth suit, no matter what their style. And that is like Jesus Christ, because he was not we. He was not we centric. He was not a Western European. He was Middle Eastern. I think we got to get that out there. Jesus had brown skin. Jesus was tribal. Jesus was not into big hierarchy. Jesus did not come to make us overseer slave drivers, self-important chief apostles. That's what we get from TV or our own mama or our own, our own self. So we're talking it plain. We're spitting it out there. We're spewing it forth. But you know, we're really pretty happy and we love people. We respect everybody, no matter what your doctrine and your point of view. We just hope that we're getting the hackles raised or something raised where people want to respect everybody, no matter what they are, whether they're green or whatever, green grown younger babies or the future, the president. And the, you know, I pray, let me be honest. I'm going to share this. I prayed for the last president. With a clear conscience, I never complained. I never put him down because I wanted to be ready. If the Lord ever said, go to the Washington and give a word of the Lord to the president of the former president. That I want a clear heart and a clean conscience because I'm for God more than politics. I'm not political. I will vote. I'll pray. I hope they pray, but I'll pray for them or anyone else in the system. With this president, the same thing. I don't agree. I can't agree with all some of this stuff, but I'm going to not disrespect the office of the human or the president because I'm God's person. If I ever have to go and give a word from the Lord, I'm going to be mature and show up with a clear heart. And you know what? Bible teaches you and me, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. And that goes for a Pentecostal, a president, you and me, a patriarch, or a mom or dad. I also... Have my heart ready for the next president, the next few presidents. I'll pray for them, no matter male or female, black or white, whatever kind they want to be. Whatever disposition, I will stand that I need prayer to. But I'm going to pray for them because it's it honors God and keeps our nation at peace. So let's go back to the old-timey way, pre-all this ministry hubbub and big deal big shots on the land let's go back to just saying you know billy graham or let's go back to before that jesus christ who came to save us from ourselves and became us in our big mouths revelation 11 excuse me revelation 12 7 through 11 said they overcame him who's him who's they they overcame him they means the church The whole church has the power over him. Who's him? The accuser, the deceiver of the accuser of the brethren, the mother and the sister and the leader and the followers, the self. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Study that passage. It's a big one, a great teaching point. You don't hear it today. I got to go now. We'll talk on we centric, we global. We'll talk on Baptist and Methodist, but we're talking really on Christ following because we want Jesus Christ to be pleased with us. We don't want to be mixture. We don't want to be consumed with self and time consciousness and be the old, crank out the old Eli high priesthood of first Samuel, who is an accuser, stereotyper chauvinist, and also tolerated abuse in ministry by keeping his own sons. Uh, He tolerated their fornication with the women at the temple and they put pressure on, On the people, God's people, for the money. And then they took the money themselves, and Eli did nothing. He washed his hands. God bless you. Have a great day. This is Tavo DRC. signing off from Tavo Creative Leadership. And we love you, and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Selah. Pause and think of this. Bye-bye. Have a great one.